Well, good morning. I am so glad you joined us today to worship God. Thank you, Ronnie, for all the praise and worship you've led us through this morning. I, I feel like I've been to church already. <laughs> That's a good thing. Thank you so much if you're visiting with us for being here today. Um, I've been blessed to reacquaint myself with a few of you. Haven't seen in a long time. Some of you have grown up. <laughs> Good to be here with you. I want to draw our attention this morning to Proverbs, Psalms, or Proverbs chapter 10, uh, a statement made by Solomon himself. He said, When the storms of life come, they do come, don't they? When the storms of life come, the wicked are whirled away, but the godly have a lasting foundation. He also wrote, the Lord has made everything for his own purpose. Notice, he said everything. You can circle that word. I want you to remember that. The Lord has made everything for his own purpose, even the wicked for a day of disaster. And yes, he's even made the storms of life. I heard someone say recently that they moved out of the Midwest because of all the tornadoes. They said that they were tired of all the destructive storms that occurred in what is known as Tornado Alley. That's a group of states, South Dakota, Nebraska, Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas, Iowa, Colorado. You've listened to any news in the last few days, you know that on Friday night there were some very severe tornadoes that ripped through more than just these states. I remember reading it, and they said one dead, many missing, and I read it this morning again, and it said 90 people were killed, 80 in Kentucky alone. Back in 2007, Kansas and Oklahoma were ranked first and second, respectively, in the number of tornadoes per area. However, there was a 2013 statistic from the National Climate Data Center that revealed that Florida was ranked first in tornadoes per area that year, even though Florida was not typically considered to be a part of Tornado Alley. If you've lived in Florida, you've experienced tornadoes. Joyce and I spent about half of our life in Florida, and uh, we've witnessed the damage of tornadoes, but thank God, Thus far, we've never experienced it personally. It's never affected us directly. I was thinking back, and I remembered a, a tornado that ripped through Tennell Air Force Base back when I was young, and uh, it, it literally went into base housing, and, and uh, 300 homes were totally destroyed. The tornado set down, and ripped through an area about 300 yards wide and about a half a mile long. And when it was all said and done, the only thing that was left was concrete slabs. Very destructive. Friends, there are storms that you can run from. There are storms that you can move away from. But there is also, there, there are life storms that you cannot escape, you cannot avoid. You've heard me say on many occasions that you're either in a storm, you're uh, uh, coming out of a storm, or you're about to go into a storm. Storms are a part of life. 
And life storms affect everybody. Nobody's immune. No matter how young you are, you can have a storm. Sooner or later, you're going to find yourself in an unexpected storm. Ronnie voiced this earlier. Some of you are in the middle of a storm right now. Some of you are. The question is, have you ever stopped to consider why you're going through your storm? You ever wondered why? Most of us don't. We just tend to suffer or struggle or even complain. And in the back of our mind and in the silence of our, of our thinking, we, we wonder why. As I was pondering that earlier this week, something really profound impressed my mind. We don't think about it, but, you know, Jesus, Jesus asked the same kind of question. He wanted to know why. You and I need to remember that even though Jesus was fully divine, all God, he was also fully human, 100% man. And when the angel of the Lord spoke to Joseph about Mary's unexpected pregnancy, he, he quoted Isaiah the prophet with these words, Matthew 1, 23. He said, look, the virgin will conceive a child. There's a storm right there, <laughs> a virgin conceiving a child. And she will give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. So Jesus' birth was a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, and Mary was a part of God's plan that he had been orchestrating for centuries. She was indeed a virgin who would give birth to a son, and they were told to name this child Emmanuel. Trust me, Mary's pregnancy was a real life storm for Joseph. The name Emmanuel means God with us. This virgin-born child lying in a manger was in fact God himself in the person of his one and only son, Jesus Christ. I mean, what you have when you look at that story is you have deity in a diaper. You have our Savior wrapped up in swaddling clothes in that moment. Heaven came down and invaded earth, and eternity split time wide open. That is when the king of the universe came to see us, and that is when he came to save sinners just like you and me. Friends, all of the storms of life that we experience in this world, if you could do so, you could track them back to the very first sin. And yes, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, came to save you from your sins because you could not save yourself. Jesus left his home in heaven to be born on earth through a virgin named Mary. And he grew up living a sinless life. And, and then at the end of his life, he died on a cross so that we could be saved. While he was hanging on that cross, Jesus experienced his greatest life storm moment. And that is when he asked, why? Have I been forsaken? You know, those words were first penned by David because of his own experience with life storm. Psalm 22, David wrote, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why do you remain so distant? Why do you ignore my cries for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. And every night you hear my voice, but I find no relief. 
In Psalms 42, he went on to write, Oh God, my rock, I cry. Why have you forsaken me? Why must I wander in darkness, oppressed by my enemies? Their taunts pierce me like a fatal wound. They scoff, Where is this God of yours? So why am I discouraged? Why so sad? I will put my hope in God, and I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Life storms were always blowing into David's life. If you read about him and you read the things he wrote, you know that because we, we can see from how David was, was always crying out to God for help. Way too often he was overwhelmed by his life struggles. And, and we all have our moments where we just want to scream, right? Well, so did Jesus. Only instead of him screaming out, out of fear and frustration, he cried out to God. There's a lesson there. Jesus spoke the same words while hanging on the cross that he died on. He cried out to God while experiencing the abandonment and despair that was the result of the outpouring of divine wrath on him as our sin bearer. Jesus took our sins on himself to the cross. And God forsook him because of our sinfulness. To say it a little more simply, God gave his son our hell in that moment. And it was a dark, dark day. Matthew wrote about that. He said at noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. And about 3 o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lamach sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Why was he forsaken? Simply because sin incurs a debt that has to be paid. And that debt was certainly paid by the sacrifice of Jesus' life. But it was even, it was, it was, it was also being paid when, when Jesus was being treated by God as the vilest of sinners, guilty of every sin committed by humanity, try to wrap your mind around that. I know how I feel when, when I sin. But can you imagine how Jesus felt when he took on the sins of the world? Talk about guilt. He who never sinned became guilty as if he had sinned all the sin ever committed. That's exactly why God turned his back on his son and walked away. Because his son represented the guilt of humanity. And God would have no part of that. Friends, listen, every storm you encounter serves a purpose. Jesus' storm served a huge purpose, a really big purpose. Tony Evans write, writes, though he had previously known only unbroken divine fellowship from all eternity, Jesus experienced the horrible abandonment of his father as God poured out his wrath on his son as he bore the sins of the world. Talk about a vicious storm. Think about the storm he went through. It was awful. We can't even begin to imagine but as awful as it was, the storm that Jesus encountered at Calvary was good for all of us. And it certainly 
did bring him the glory that he deserved. There was an occasion when Jesus had been saying some things to his disciples, and John records it, and he says, when Jesus had finished saying all these things, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son so that he can give glory back to you, for you have given him authority over everyone in all the earth. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life. The way to have eternal life is to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you have sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by doing everything that you told me to do. And now, Father, Father, bring me into the glory that we shared before the world began. So as bad and as evil a thing as the crucifixion of Christ was, it served a great purpose. Every life storm serves a purpose, even the one you're going through. I want you to think with me for a moment about Job. The Bible says that he was a man who lived a blameless life. He was a man of complete integrity. He feared God and he chose to avoid sin. He was a very wealthy man with a really large family, seven sons, three daughters, and a wife. He had on his farm thousands of animals and servants. He was known as the richest man in the entire area of his world. In his little corner, he was a top dog. He had everything. God was happy with him according to his word, but we know that Satan also hated him, so much so that Satan wanted to destroy Job's life and, and his relationship with God. I really believe that, that Satan was jealous of Job. So Satan asked God if he could have permission to cause trouble in Job's life. He wanted to stir up a, a life storm that would tempt Job to turn his back on God. And so God allowed Satan to come against Job twice. You remember that? I want to say this because you need to understand it. What Satan meant for evil, God allowed for good. What Satan meant for evil, God allowed for good first Satan destroyed everything that Job loved and everything that he enjoyed he lost everything but his health and his wife you remember that account in Job chapter 1 there were several servants that came to report the terrible day that Job was having to go through while the third servant was speaking yet another a fourth messenger arrived with news your sons and daughters were feasting in their oldest brother's home, and suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the desert. Imagine that, a powerful wind. And it hit the house on all sides. In other words, they were in the, the eye of the storm. The house collapsed, and all your children are dead, Job. And I am the only one who escaped to tell you. And it says Job stood up and he tore his robe. And then he shaved his head and he fell to the ground before God. Now that's an expression of worship. Anytime you find someone falling to the ground before God, they're doing so to give God praise. He said, I came naked into this uh, from my mother's womb, and, and I was stripped 
of everything when I die. I will be stripped of everything when I die. The Lord gave me everything I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. And in all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. The next thing that Satan did to Job was he took away his good health. There was a second time that Satan came before God, wanting permission to cause even more trouble for Job. And and the Lord said, okay, all right, I, you know, do with him as you please, but spare his life. So Satan left the Lord's presence, and he struck Job with a terrible case of boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. You ever had a boil? You ever had a, we call them risings. I mean, you know, they get big and angry, full of all kind of yuck and stuff that just makes you feel terrible. Can you imagine having them from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet? You can't think, you can't walk, you can't sit down, they're everywhere. You get a, an idea of what Job went through when, it's, when we look at verse 8. It says, then Job scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery. What was he doing? He was trying to extricate that pus, clean them of that infection. Said he scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery as he sat among the ashes. And his wife said to him, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Why don't you just curse God and die? It would have been a whole lot easier to do that. But it said Job replied, you talk like a godless woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all this, Job said nothing wrong. Still not sinning against God. His attitude is still right toward God. Job's life is yet another example that every storm serves a purpose. And there is a clue to that effect in some of the last words that Job spoke to God. Job verse, or chapter 42, look at verse 1. This last chapter in this book there having a conversation with each other. And Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything, and no one can stop you. You ask me, O Lord, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? And Job says, it is I. And I was talking about things that I did not understand, things far too wonderful for, for me. You said, listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. And then in verse 5 and verse 6, Job responds, and he says, I had heard about you before. There's a lot of people that hear about God, right? A lot of people hear about God. He said, I had heard about you before, but now, after having gone through all of this that I've gone through, this life storm, now I've seen you with my own eyes. Now I know what you look like. I know who you are. And he said, I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. Hmm. Lord, please forgive me for what I was thinking. You see, Job's life storm changed him. It changed him. It helped him to see the, the gracious, loving, forgiving heart and hand of God. Without that storm, he probably would have never seen God in that way. His storm opened up a much deeper and more intimate relationship with God, and that's what we all need. Job was humbled. He was helped. 
And his faith in his and, and his faith in God grew stronger. And, and, and when you read scripture, you find that God blessed him with twice as much as he had had before. His storm changed his mind about God for the better. Now, we all know that sometimes when we go through storms, we're tempted to, to get bitter, right? But Job chose to let his storm make him better. Better, not bitter. Better. What are you choosing to let your storm do to you? Are you getting better or bitter? Think about that. Every storm serves a purpose. And your attitude about your storm is the key. It's crucial. It makes the difference. Friend, have you ever thought about in the midst of your storm, you ever thought about giving up? Giving up on yourself, giving up on your family, maybe your mate, your children, giving up on your friends, giving up on your country, giving up on God, maybe even giving up on your life. People do that every day. They're tired of living in a storm, and so they give up. I think there have been times in all of our lives where we've had those moments, where we've had those thoughts. You know, sometimes life can become so challenging and so difficult that you just feel like nothing's ever going to change, nothing's ever going to get any better. It's tough struggling with habitual sin, right? Your own habitual sin, the habitual sin of your mate, maybe of your children. It's tough dealing with difficult people and bad relational situations between you and your mate, maybe even your siblings or your children. It's just tough growing old. (laughs) I thought I'd get an amen out of that one. (laughs) It's tough growing old. It's tough getting sick unto death. Right? Life storms are tough. But friends, like them or not, they do serve for us a greater purpose. Living for God in a godless, troubled world is hard. It's very discouraging. It can make you want to leave the church and, 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 and go away from God. And, and there are a lot of people that are doing that nowadays. You know, when, when it gets tough, they just run. But friends... I want you to understand that even if that's what you're feeling, and even if you are seeing people that are doing that kind of thing, I want you to understand it's not the first time it's ever happened. I can't say it won't be the last because God could come today and end all of this, right? He could, but it's happened before. And that is exactly how so many of the followers of Christ felt when they received the letter of Hebrews. They got their letter, and that was what they felt like. This letter was written to a a community of Jewish believers who were struggling with growing and and severe and intense persecution on their fellowship. This life storm of persecution was getting so very hard for them to weather. Very difficult. It was so bad that so many of these Jewish believers of Christ were being tempted to abandon their identification with Jesus Christ. In other words, they didn't want anybody to know that they were a Christian. They were being tempted with that, tempted to to believe that life would be better without Jesus, without the church, without being connected to it in any way, that it would be better just living all by themselves in isolation. Isn't that what a lot of people are doing today? Even now, even now, people are still living in isolation. 
In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32, the writer writing this letter to the struggling Christian said, Don't ever forget those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and you were beaten and sometimes you, were, you, you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. When all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with what? Joy. You knew you had better things waiting for you in eternity. He said, don't throw away this confident trust in the Lord no matter what happens. Remember the great reward it brings. Patient endurance is what you need now. So you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. For in just a little while. The coming one. <laughs> the coming one will come and not delay. And a righteous person will live by faith. But I will have no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But he says you are not like those who turn their backs on God and seal their faith. We. We have faith that assures our salvation. Praise the Lord. If that is where you are right now in your personal struggle, I want to encourage you not to give up on God. Please don't. Don't throw in the towel. Don't give up. Keep trusting God. Stay the course. Be faithful. Trust God. Thank God for all the blessings that you've enjoyed. Look to Jesus for all that he's promised you. And, and, and I want you to listen to what I'm going to read in just a minute that the author writes to these people. And I, I want you, if you're discouraged, to be encouraged. Look with me at chapter 4, verse 14. He writes to them, so, since, so then since we have a great high priest who has gone to heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us cling to him and never stop trusting him. This high priest of ours understands our weakness, for he faced all the same temptations we do, and yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy. And we will find grace to help us when we need it. I may not know the storm that you're in. Some of your storms I'm aware of, but some I'm not. That's just the way you are. You don't always tell me everything. Right? <laughs> but... Listen, big or small, your storm is real. Your storm is real. And I can assure you that Jesus knows every one of your storms at the same time. He can watch all of them and know everything that's going on in your life. And I want you to understand that he knows what you're going through and he cares about you. The Bible tells us that Jesus is our great high priest who forever makes intercession for you in the presence of our Heavenly Father. Think about that. Jesus is right there, right now, seated next to the Heavenly Father, and He is interceding for you right now. Right now. Listen to what Paul wrote. Who then will condemn us? 
You know, sometimes after the Lord has forgiven us, we tend to continue to condemn ourselves. You know, we, we have more trouble forgiving ourselves than God does. He says, who then will condemn us? Well, Christ Jesus, no. For he is the one who died for us and was raised to life for us and is sitting at the place of highest honor next to God, pleading for us. He is our advocate before the Father. He pleads our case. You don't have to do that. He does that for us. The writer of Hebrews says there were many priests under the old system. And when one priest died, another had to take his place. But Jesus remains a priest forever. His priesthood will never end. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save everyone who comes to God through him. He lives forever to plead with God on our behalf. Talk about encouraging words. He is the kind of high priest that we need because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He has now been set apart from sinners. And he has been given the highest place and of honor in heaven. He does not need to offer sacrifices every day like the other high priests. No, they, they did that for their own sins first and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once, once for all when he sacrificed himself on the cross. Those who were high priests under the law of Moses were limited by human weakness. But after the law was given, it says God appointed his son with an oath, and his son has been made perfect forever. Along with the writer of this amazing letter, I, I want to encourage you to do several things that I believe will help you to endure your life storms no matter what they are. So pay very close attention to what is said in Scripture here. Three things I want to encourage you with. First of all, I want to encourage you to hold firmly to what you believe. When the storms are raging, hang on to what you believe. I would say hang on to who you believe. He says, let's cling to him. Who? Jesus. Let's cling to Jesus and never stop trusting Jesus. John Maxwell had this little cliche in one of his books I, I read one time. It said, when you get to the end of your rope... Tie a knot and hang on. Let me just suggest this. When you get to the end of yourself, take a hold of Jesus. You hear me? Take a hold of Jesus. And never let go. And if you fail, and I can assure you there will be times when you fail, because our faith is up and down, isn't it? Up and down. If you fail, when you fail, rest assured, he's never going to turn loose of you. Never going to turn loose of you. Let him take hold of you with your faith. He'll never let you go. Second of all, I want to encourage you to remember that Jesus completely understands your weakness. How many times have you got on the phone with somebody and they go, well, I know just how you feel. No, they don't. Every situation is different. You're different. Your situation's different. They are different. So they may have gone through their storm, and they know their storm, but they don't know your storm. But Jesus does. He does. It says here that the high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. 
for he faced all the same temptations we do, and yet he did not sin. Do you see that? Do you understand how big that is? Think about it. In one sense, he's like all of us. Jesus has endured incredible temptation and suffering and hardship. And yet in another, Jesus is like none of us. Why? Because he never sinned. He never sinned. He is our perfect high priest, and there's only one of them. Please understand that I am just an under-shepherd. He is the great shepherd. I put on my pants just like you do. And I suffer and I struggle with the same things you do. I am not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. If you don't believe me, ask Joyce. <laughs> but Jesus is perfect. He's perfect. And he knows us. He knows us. He knows us intimately. He knows all of our weaknesses. And because he beat Satan in temptation at its very best game, he alone knows how to help us. And praise God, that is his desire. That is his desire. I also want to encourage you to come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. When life gets tough, and, and I see this all the time, and, and I'll be honest, there are times when I feel the same way. You know, there have been a lot of uh, Sunday afternoons and Mondays that I wanted to write my resignation. Haven't you wanted to quit? Huh? Come on, be honest. We all have those days. But when life gets tough, even though it's easy to duck and run from God and from His people, there's no need to do that. When we, as children of God, can boldly come into the presence of God for the help that we need. No trial that you face is too great for Him. No temptation is too strong for Him, but that Jesus can give you the mercy and the grace that you need and when you need it. But friends, listen, we have to come. We have to come. Listen, be, be, because of who Jesus is, who is he? He's God, right? He's God, and because he has experienced every storm life can throw at you, and because he is always, always attentive to your need and available to help and able to do infinitely more than we could ever imagine because he cares for you, you can trust him. You can trust him with your storm. I don't care how bad it is. You can trust him. So what are we supposed to do when we find ourselves in a storm? Read scripture. Understand the truth. And put it into practice, right? What does he tell us to do? Look, he says, approach his throne boldly. What does that mean? That simply means go to God praying with great confidence. Praying with great confidence. I said to you last week that prayer is an amazing tool that God has given to us to pull something down out of the invisible and into the visible where we live. Tony Evans says that prayer is a believer's passport into the spiritual realm. Think about that. So when you're tempted to give up, that temptation is actually an invitation to draw near to the king's throne so that you may receive mercy and find grace. When temptation comes, you're going to do one of two things. You're going to either take hold of an exit plan and go the wrong way, or you're going to take hold of an invitation. It's important. You can have mercy and grace if you come to him 
and you take hold of him. Mercy and grace are the twin sisters of the gospel. I've said that to you many times. They are both gifts from God. Mercy is what? It is God not giving us what we deserve, and that is hell, right? And grace is God giving us what we don't deserve, and that is heaven. Thank God for mercy and grace. We all need mercy and grace, right? And they are both available to us. Think about this. Uh, mercy and grace are like suitcases on a baggage carousel. It's going around and around and around and around. And you can get your mercy and grace, but you got to go to the baggage claim. And you got to claim it, right? Right? I thought so. You're, 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 you're learning fast. You really are. To lay claim to these wonderful gifts that God has promised to us, we have to come to God to get them. You have to accept the invitation of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's giving you an invitation today. I pondered that last week as I began to think about this message and then this week as I put it together. And I was reminded of the day that my father passed away. I remember standing in the room where my father was laying flat of his back. They took um, his breathing tube out. They were giving my father an opportunity to survive if he could on his own. And uh, I was on the right side of the bed and I was holding my father by the right hand. And I remember seeing him take that last breath and his chest went down. And my father departed for heaven. That was one of the greatest, biggest life storms I had ever encountered in my life. But I encountered that storm with peace. Why? A lot of reasons. First and foremost, I, I, I encountered that with peace because my wife Joyce was beside me. My friend and my mate was there next to me, and that gave me great comfort. Also, my family was there. We were all gathered around the bed of my father. I looked, and my pastor was there. You need a pastor when those storms hit. Not just somebody on a screen. You need a real live pastor. Hear what I'm saying? My pastor was there, but he was not only my pastor, he was my dad's pastor. Why? Because he led my dad to the Lord. One of my Christian brothers in, in the Lord in ministry, Gary Wayne Richardson, was also there. And I'll never forget Gary saying this to me. He said, Randy, be your dad's son. Let us be the pastor today. Just be your dad's son. They were all there. They were all there to help me and encourage me. But you know what? Jesus was there as well he was there uh, to keep his promise and not only to me but to my dad because I found that in the latter years of my dad's life after he came to know the Lord he and the Lord were talking more and the Lord was giving my father some encouragement because my dad was struggling with a storm he had cancer and uh, after dad's surgery after they removed uh, a lung out of his chest uh, I remember uh, working outside in the yard one day trying to do some things around the house that dad could no longer do. And my dad was sitting, sitting, in, a, 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 sitting in a lawn, lawn chair 
in his pajamas, in which my dad never did that, but he was watching me. Um, and he said, son, I want you to know that I'm not going to beat cancer this time. And I said, dad, you don't know that. He said, oh, yeah, I do. He said, I know that. He said, but I want you to know that I'm okay. I'm okay with God, and God's got this. I'm good. Wow. You just don't know what it felt like in that moment to have a man that you love to be able to talk to you about spiritual things and express his faith in God in words that I really needed to hear. Why was that day a life storm day for me filled with peace? Because my father had confidence in God. And I knew he left here with that confidence and he departed to glory to be with Jesus forever. In that moment, I believe God took my dad early so that my dad didn't have to suffer what he didn't really, you know, he, he dreaded those kind of days. But also believe that he took him early to fulfill a promise, to give him eternal life and to save his soul. I also believe that God took my dad early so that a young man that I was coming into ministry would, would have more confidence and depend more on God than I had always done on my dad. God knew what he was doing. God knew what storm I needed, and he knew how to prescribe a storm just for me. God's storms always have purpose. What, what is your storm for, for in your life? What is God doing with your storm? You need to know. You need to talk to God about that. You need to have peace. And, and for those of you who are surrounding people who are going through storms, you need that same kind of peace. I want to close with some words written in Hebrews in chapter 12. And I want you to listen very carefully to these words. The author wrote, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily, so easily hinders our progress. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus on whom our faith depends from start to finish. He was willing to die a shameful death on the cross because of the joy that he knew would be his afterward. And now, now he's seated in the place of highest honor beside God's throne in heaven. My friends, I hope and pray that you're planning to join him there. The invitation stands today for all of us to trust Jesus, to let him be the Lord of our life, and to let him be our everything. 